hearing me once will be enough, so echoing is a bad thing. I'll try not to do that. Um, Barry, if you don't know me, most of you do, but if you're new, not seen me before, that's me. I'm one of the uh, pastoral staff here. We're about to start a series on the Big Ten. I actually sound like God at the moment, don't I? Um, on thou shalt not kill. It's like um, that kind of Cecil B. DeMille movie sort of effect. So that's not deliberate. That's um, a kind of a, a mistake. Um, but what we're going to do is go through the Ten Commandments in reverse order. Like they used to do Miss World. And... Um, in the days when they used to and what that means is we're going to start it's in Exodus 20 if you've got a Bible you can read them all at your leisure I won't go through them all but we're going to start with number 10 and work down to number 1 and number 10 says this you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house, wife, male or husband, male or female servant, or donkey, anything that belongs to You just want me to stop, or you just to turn me on and off? Is that okay? Do you want me to use the handheld? No? Okay. I don't think they can hear me. That's the trouble. I'm sort of asking these questions, and they're not responding. But never mind. The Ten Commandments, what do you, what do you think of them? What is your immediate reaction to them? Um, sometimes I hear people say, well, after all, our law is based on the Ten Commandments, isn't it? And me, I'm a sort of a contrary sort of thinker. I always challenge that and I say, you know what, it isn't at all. Hardly, hardly any of our law is based on the Ten Commandments, apart from maybe two, possibly three of the Ten Commandments um, affect our, our law. Stealing, killing, maybe bearing false witness if you do it in court. In other words, if it's perjury. The rest are not illegal at all. You don't have to make God your only God. It's not illegal to make an idol. It's not illegal to commit adultery. It is certainly not illegal to covet, is it? In fact, I would go so far as to say that the social system and the economic system that you live in and depend on is based on systematic, deliberate, stimulation of a covetous heart. If I want to grow my business, I want to make you want what I sell to the point where you need to have it and part with money to buy it. And I'm going to make that want feel like a need in you. And it's going to be way, way beyond what you could really stand before God and define as a need. It's going to be a want. And you're going to want it so badly that you're going to put that first in your life, probably, and make sure that you have it. 
The big ten, the ten commandments, are interesting. You will not covet each other's possessions comes at the end. You will have no other gods before me comes at the beginning. Two heart decisions, like a bookend at each end of the stack, all right? And in between are these actions. You will not kill, you will not commit adultery, you will not make graven images, you will not, um, you know, dishonor your mother and father and so on. At the, be- at the beginning, the end, are two heart conditions. And that, for me, is the real significance of the Ten Commandments. Not as the basis for law, although there's some input to our law. I think you find most non-Christian societies ban killing, stealing, and lying. But as a plea for you to cultivate a heart condition, a choosing to obey God because you recognize this is his heart and not a legal proscription of something. God asks us to cultivate a heart condition at the beginning and at the end of these set of legal requirements. Mark, do you want to shove the first picture up? If you Google, see my, my mind is in the King James Version. So I think, all right, Google, my neighbor's ass. And that's what it looks like. That's not the only thing I got. That's a dangerous phrase to Google. Well, I look at that. There's my neighbor's donkey. And you know what? I don't want it. So no problem. What about the next one? That, on the other hand, is quite interesting. That that is QI. Even the colour. Don't you think? I mean, I can even admire the photography in that. It is great. I'm going to leave that up there. And if you're fed up with what I'm saying, just look at that. That is a DB9. And that will set you back nearly 200 grand. All right? And when I think about the things I look at and think I would really love to have one of those, that's one of the few cars that I would put down that I've got any interest in whatsoever. There's just something about it, maybe the association with the sort of James Bond franchise and all that kind of stuff comes into my uh, head and heart. And I think, I, you do see the occasional one around, don't you? Not that many, it's rare. It's a great colour. Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> you, of course, would put something different up there. That's the point. You would have a different picture up there. Or something that, in your heart, crosses a certain line of simple admiration and desire to a... Oh, dear. Uh, what would I give to have one of those? Now, it is utterly ridiculous for me to want that, and I'll come back to that in a minute. God is not particularly hurt or harmed by me coveting something. But I am. Coveting is self-theft. 
You will not lose your faith, probably. You will certainly not lose your liberty by coveting. But you may lose your happiness, your peace. You'll almost certainly lose your contentment. And you may just lose the voice of God speaking to you. Coveting is self-theft. The Tenth Commandment actually hurts you more than anyone else. Because it is a soul sickness. It's something that robs you of your contentment. What is coveting? It's desiring what someone else has that you don't have. Focusing on what you don't have instead of being thankful for what you do have. Focusing on what you don't have instead of being thankful for what you do have. Now, do I really want that? Really? I can't even afford to insure it. I couldn't afford to change the tyres on it, not even one tyre on it. I couldn't afford the petrol it would use, there's nowhere around here to drive it. I couldn't afford to service it, and it would be keyed, wouldn't it, within two days of me having it. That kind of thing exists in my mind as an idle curiosity, idle spelled I-D-O-L maybe, serves only one purpose, is to rob me of my contentment. And that's all. Coveting itself, the word, is not inherently wrong. The psalmist talks about seeking God on those terms, uh, although it may be translated differently. It says, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. Somebody wrote a song about that, didn't they? Not too far away. And when Paul writes, uh, your Bible probably says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. In the King James Version it says, covet the greater gifts. It simply means to desire passionately, to really, really want something. Such that it's kind of like the focus of your mind. What this commandment talks about is coveting what belongs to someone else. Something which we have no right to possess. And allowing that to condition our inner heart and thoughts. It's not necessarily a liking for things, or possessing something, or even working hard and saving up and buying something. It's something that that is conditioning our heart. It's something that's becoming obsessive, and setting us apart from other people. I remember a phase in my life when I was just married and so were all my friends and we were all setting about that first step on the property ladder in a time in an era when you could do that and it was all we talked about people's houses, other people's houses it was so boring I used to dread going around to see them, this group house group we were in. And it's all it was. It was pure covetous materialism expressed in the legitimate desire to live somewhere. But it crossed the line. It was unhelpful. It was unhealthy. And it was coveting. It was people trying to outdo each other and make out that they'd been more successful. 
What makes covetousness a sin is to start to earnestly desire what is already someone else's, something you do not have, something which harms your satisfaction and contentment and your relationship with God. It may be an Aston Martin DB5, it probably won't be. It could be a possession, but it could be their popularity. If you're a church leader, it could be their ministry. It could be the number of Twitter followers they have. It could be the number of uh, people they have in their church. This is a really dangerous soul sickness. affects everybody. This tenth commandment, I think, foreshadows Jesus' teaching on the law. When, when Jesus taught about the law, he would take the Moses text and explain what lay behind it. So he says, when he says, don't murder, he would say, do not be angry at murder. Angry at someone and you hate them, you've broken the Ten Commandments. And when he said, uh, when it says, don't commit adultery, he says, well, because you've already broken the commandment in your heart, even if you haven't broken it in fact. And what Jesus is trying to say, the same this this um, commandment, is that you cannot live by alone the law. It is Anyway, I think it may be my microphone as much as anything else. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He talks a lot implicitly about covetousness and not worrying about things and not, not um, gathering treasures, putting them up in heaven. What the tenth commandment actually says is that can keep the law. Because you can't not do this if you're human. You, it will happen to you. It's already happened to you. The tenth commandment teaches us of our need for a saviour. It teaches us that without a spiritual regeneration, we are lost before God. Martin Luther said this. And I'll translate it in a minute. Not that I'm going to read it in German, it's just that the English isn't very easy to understand. He said, the last commandment is given not for rogues in the eyes of the world, but honest and upright people, since they have not offended against the former commandments. And basically he's saying, if you think you've kept the first nine, number ten always gets you. So you still need Jesus. But what is so bad about coveting somebody else's donkey or house or whatever? Firstly, covetousness results in sinful action. Sin never just happens, does it? It starts in the mind with a desire and a cultivation of reality that is not yet reality and becomes an action. 
It always starts in the mind. The soul sickness usually ends in an action of some description. Secondly, I would say covetousness leads to fear and stress. Remember I said it was self-theft. When you end up in the situation of coveting something else someone else has, you cross simple desire and admiration and start to feel as if you need to have it. And in you is raised the minimum bar of satisfaction. Now, what you consider is the minimum need to count in society suddenly goes up. The number of bedrooms in your house, the size of your garden, the kind of car you drive, the up-to-dateness of the phone in your pocket, yawn. All of which, deep down, you know that because God has never promised to supply those things, means that a good chunk of your life agenda is your own, not his. And with that comes stress and worry and fear. Because covetousness has built a lifestyle desire that you know God is not honouring, therefore you have to build it yourself. And you fear losing it because you lose your place in society. And then thirdly, closely related, consciousness leads to satisfaction with God himself. When we remember what we don't have, it makes us dissatisfied with what God has given us. It's not wrong to desire things, but it is, earnest, it is wrong to earnestly desire what someone else has and we don't. And that temptation is probably greater now than at any time in history, isn't it? Because you just see things around you in the street, you see them on the internet, you see them in the movies, you see them in adverts. Now there's a whole narrative there about what kind of person you need to be in order to be a valid young person or young adult or old person or middle-aged person. There's an image there that makes you covet things you don't have. What does it look like? Well, I think our thoughts and conversations and actions ungenerous, critical, self-centered, lacking in Christ-likeness and frankly rather dull and not giving life to people. Other people's joys and successes become hard to celebrate, don't they? If you're secretly envious of what they have. Don't you think a bit critical of them? You know, you find fault in what they've done because you covet their success. And you look at your own situation and it looks far worse than it really is because you've got a covetous heart. And actually, you've got everything you need. Just not what they've got. Covetous looks like busyness too when you strive to get those things. And uh, we take our, our eye off the true spirit life. Jesus says the man who loves his life will lose it, or the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. doesn't mean to say we have no concern. It just means we're called to have a perspective and to want the right things. And he told a, um, a parable 
and concerns of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the seed and make it unfruitful. Covetousness is one of the things that feeds that worrisome life and robs us of our joy. For everything in life, there is an opposite, isn't there? What's the opposite of covetousness and dissatisfaction? Maybe the word contentment springs to mind. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. Who's the richest man in the world? Is it you? Who is it? Bill Gates? Is it? I don't know. The answer. I'm just wondering whether you do. Who's the richest man in the world? Well, Bill Gates would be one of them, wouldn't he? So, Brunei's son. How did he get richer than his dad? I bet his dad covets it, doesn't he? Or something. The Sobrunai's son. I, that's, that, I find that bizarre, frankly. But, okay. Alright. The Sultan of Brunei or his... How much will he leave when he dies? The answer is it's a percentage. And the answer is 100%. All of it. Everything. Even the clothes he's will rot in the grave or get consumed. You cannot take a single thing with you. Contentment is what Jesus described it as, and Paul described it as, being content with the basics of life and thankful for everything else. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, Be grateful for a handheld microphone. He says, he says this, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. And what he's saying is, there's no virtue in being poor or rich, but there are great dangers in coveting riches and being comfortable. Because it lures you into ways of behavior and thinking that take you away from God. But godliness without contentment sounds to me like a really rich phrase. What does godliness with contentment mean? I want to ask you, do you take the following truths seriously or are they just lip service because you're in a church assuming you are vaguely religious or have a faith? Do you believe that you have forgiveness of sins in your spiritual bank account? Do you have that asset? And do you believe that's worth far more than having millions of dollars in your earthly bank account? Do you believe it? Really? Will it affect the way you go about your life tomorrow? John Wimber used to say, you know, the trouble is with Christians, not that they don't act out what they believe, they do act out what they believe. 
The trouble is they don't believe what they say they believe. And knowing that our life is founded on forgiveness and reconciliation with God is the basis of our life, not how much money we've got. Do you believe that you have a spiritual guarantee of eternal life with God? And that eternal life with God lasts a little bit longer than life on earth? And I'm not denigrating life on earth. I quite like it, given the alternative. You know, but you know what I mean? It's not something to be rubbished. But it's a short time compared with life with God. Do you also believe that God will take care of your physical needs on this earth? Do you also have peace and confidence that come from knowing that you are in his hand? So not only what will happen when you die, but what, what his plan for you might be and that he looks after you. Now it's all very well to say, yes, I believe all those things. But actually there comes a time when it's tested. And I would say to you, particularly if you're still in that early part of life, about to make all your critical choices, don't fall for this self-theft, this covetous soul sickness that will rob you of your peace and rob you of your trust in God and rob you of the ear that can hear what his plan for you is because you think you need a huge house and you think you need a new car and you think you need a new apple, something, whatever the new thing is. None of those things are evil but the distraction of thinking you need them is a soul sickness. Godliness with contentment is understanding the eternal dimension of all things that there is such a thing as having enough to obey what God has asked you to do now and recognizing that you have enough and being extremely happy with anything above that. The idea of bonus in life comes into play. You know, you have what you need and then whatever else comes along is what's known as a bonus and it's tax-free. Crack that and you will be extremely happy the whole of your life. You won't necessarily be the most popular or the most well-known or the most famous or live in the nicest street, but you will be extremely happy. And the best things in life really will be the free ones, the blueness of the sky and the number of birds eating at your bird table will fill you with joy. I have one of those little bird feeders. It hangs outside my back window and it's become a source of free entertainment. Apart from the fact I have to buy the seed, but that's pretty cheap, isn't it? So I shove that in, and I just watch these creatures descend on it by the dozen and demolish this seed. And it is just unbelievably good entertainment, but it's completely free. And about two hours later, I recognize I had a sermon to write, and I should really have done it. What's the treatment for covetousness. Here are four suggestions. One is simplicity. If you don't have too many things to worry about, then you won't worry about them. 
And you weren't worrying too much whether they match each other, whether they're in style or need to be replaced because someone else has got a better one. Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in in, in, in heaven. I actually can't remember a time in life when I really felt unhappy. I'm very fortunate. I had a really fortunate life. But there are kind of odd occasions where I, f- I find that happiness is stolen, and it's when I'm in the company of people who say, you haven't lived until. Until you've heard music sound like this, or driven a car like this, or lived in a house like this, or traveled to this country. And then I feel sad and deprived and devalued. And I covet what they've just said I need to have. It's not life conversation. It's robbery. So simplicity is a way, is a treatment for covetousness. The second is giving, generosity. You can't covet if you continually give away to others who have less than you. It teaches us to hold our possessions lightly and teaches us to ha- that what we have comes from God and is a tool for him to use. We're stewards, not landowners. And that is, by definition, true. We will all die one day and be called to account. The third one is thankfulness, so-called attitude of gratitude. My music, the stuff that I listen to, sounded better when I was younger, not because of my ears, but I had to save up two weeks' money to buy an album when I was young. And it used to sound brilliant. Now I can buy as many as I want, and I get bored with it. So Marie Antoinette said, you know, when she, at the height of her richness, she said, nothing tastes because she could have anything she wanted. To be thankful every day is one of the greatest counters to dissatisfaction with life and with God. Paul writes, For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. Even in the worst of times, God has provided stuff for us to be thankful for. It's harder sometimes to see it than others. But rather than concentrating on what we don't have, focus on what we do have and give thanks for it. And finally, the, um, the antidote to covetousness is that inner transformation, the new creation that we are. It's impossible to be victorious over covetous human behavior in our own strength, but it is possible with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, you're not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And God's intention was always that these laws would be written on our hearts, not on a tablet of stone. Which is why I think these Ten Commandments are different. They're not law, they're they're conditions of heart. In Hebrews 10, it says, The new covenant I will make with my people... I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. It's a quote from Jeremiah. 
You, you can try and be thankful, you can try and be generous, you can try and live simply. But unless the Spirit is at work in your heart, you'll struggle, you'll slip back into those um, human ways of being. I don't know whether you have a problem of coveting. And it may not necessarily be a materialistic thing. It may be someone else's attributes that you covet or their popularity or their status in life. And never mind a a glistening red car. But I suggest there probably is always something in all of us that we wish we had that someone else has and makes us unhappy. So why don't we stand together and lay that thing, whatever it is. I want you to... um, Name it before God.